Our sermon passage this morning comes from Exodus 13, 1 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall, eat, shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you, and to your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in the time and when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, from the house of slavery. For when the Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand, or frontlets between your eyes, for, a, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Well, many of the holidays we celebrate here in the U.S. are holidays of remembrance, right? Memorial Day is set aside to remember those who died in the line of service in this country's military. Independence Day calls us to remember the Declaration of Independence and the high point of the American Revolution. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Lincoln's Birthday, St. Patrick's Day, Columbus Day, the list goes on. This nation has designated days to remember what has gone before. And that's not nothing new. That's not anything new. Get that right. Uh, this morning we come to a passage where God gives his people special ways to remember the past. So over Easter we took a bit of a break from our study in the book of Exodus, but we're back at it this morning. And in the passage Alex has just read for us, we find God's people coming out of slavery in Egypt and on the verge of entering the wilderness. God has heard their cries for deliverance. He's raised up Moses as the deliverer. He has leveled judgments against Pharaoh the exodus has occurred, and Israel is free. 
And now, whatever may come, they must not forget what has just happened. So this morning, let's see two things. Remembering deliverance from slavery and remembering deliverance from death. So first, remembering deliverance from slavery. There in verses 3 through 10, we see Moses communicating the instructions the Lord had given him back in chapter 12 regarding the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Every year from this moment on, the people of Israel are to keep a week-long feast in the first month of the year. This feast will involve eating unleavened bread, that is, bread without yeast, for seven entire days. And on the seventh day of that diet, verse 6, they're to hold a feast to the Lord. During that time, leaven or yeast is not to be eaten or even seen. Why? I mean, doesn't that sound a little nitpicky to legislate something like that? Is this just another religious ritual Israel must observe, something they might not fully understand but have to do anyway? No, this has very real significance for God's people. So if you look back in chapter 12 and verse 33, you'll read, The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. So for decades, even centuries, deliverance from slavery in Egypt to the Israelites had seemed elusive and impossible. But God's people had cried out and God had answered. Moses was raised up. But even after that, in chapter 5, if you'll remember, things just went from bad to worse. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? I'm going to make your lives miserable-er. Right? Yet Yahweh, the God of Israel, that word translated as Lord, capitals in your English translations, Yahweh, the personal name of the God of Israel, had intervened in astonishing ways, sending ten strikes on Egypt, ten plagues, accelerating in intensity and devastating the land. And finally, back in chapter 12, after that last plague had thoroughly rocked Pharaoh's world, the Egyptians had just thrown up their hands and said, Israel, just get out of here. Your God has done enough. And so God's people had had to leave in haste, taking their dough before it was fully prepared. And so the Lord is now commanding his people every single year at this same time of their deliverance to take that same kind of unleavened bread and eat it for an entire week. You can imagine how totally different that week was from any other week of the year, right? Their diet would change, their routine would change, their taste buds would have to adapt. And through all of this, they would remember every meal how God had ushered them out of slavery. What a tangible reminder. God giving his people a a taste, a touch that will remind them of what he had done. Moses says there in verse 3, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Israel would not just get an annual sermon, uh, a year yearly lecture on what had happened in their history. They would get an annual taste. 
It would be inescapable. Verse 9, it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. Later, generations of Israelites would take that literally and put boxes on their foreheads to remind them of what had happened. But I think at this point, God is just telling them, this is going to be in front of your face. You're going to remember this. I'm going to make it very difficult for you to forget what I've done. Every single year, their memories would be refreshed. And as they matured as a people and generations were born, this feast would also provide opportunity for children to ask about this and for parents to tell them what had happened. There in verse 8, Moses says, You shall tell your son on that day, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. See, son? See how we're eating strangely for this week of the year? Let me tell you why. The Lord did something amazing. Four times in these brief verses, we see that the Lord brought his people out with a strong hand. Pharaoh had seemed to be the God of his kingdom. Remember, he was the God. He had received their worship and service. And now a greater God had shown up, right? The God of the Hebrews had demanded his people to be freed from slavery. And when Pharaoh had refused and initiated an all-out war with the God of the universe, the strongest hand had prevailed. Egypt was left in tatters. God's people marched out in triumph. That's what Israel needs to remember. God's hand of victory had been clear to see in both its judgment and its salvation, in both its complete devastation of Pharaoh and its complete deliverance of Israel. They must remember that Yahweh is the one true God, that he now deserves their allegiance, not Pharaoh. That he is now their master, their deliverer, their Lord. Israel must not forget where they've come from. The feast and the Passover here would be like an anniversary for them. You know, we celebrate anniversaries like our birthdays or wedding anniversaries or a certain period of time done worked at a com- particular company. But for Israel, this was their most important anniversary celebration. They've been rescued from slavery. Their entire calendar had been shifted. Their entire identity as a people had been renewed. They must remember this moment. In churches, as Christians living in this time after Christ, the ultimate Passover lamb, we too live as people who remember. For, for example, the Apostle Peter in Second Peter chapter 1 says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. So he just laid out a list of qualities of those who truly belong to Christ. And he said, I will remind you of these, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Peter was on the brink of being killed for his faith in Christ. And yet he wants to remind his people of the gospel. They know the gospel, sure. He's preaching to the choir, but the choir needs to hear it again. And dear church family, this is key for us as well. 
I mean, why do we gather so frequently? Do you ever wonder that? Why do we have a built-in time in our weekly routines to get together as a church family and consider what we already know? What we've already been established in? I mean, isn't this stuff elementary? Don't we already know this? Can't we go on to bigger and better things spiritually? No. No. Nothing gets bigger or better than the gospel. Nothing. We must remember deliverance. We must recall what God has done, how he delivered us through the cross of Christ from an even greater slavery to sin and death and hell and Satan, how he has through the resurrection of his son from the dead led us in triumph over our enemies, out of slavery, into life. We cannot, we must not, we will not grow weary of rehearsing and remembering that good news. And church, do you know that we too have a feast of unleavened bread? It's called the Lord's Supper. It's a meal to commemorate what God has done. Remember what Jesus said when he broke that bread at the Passover meal before he died. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, we are to be a remembering people. I think there's a special exhortation here for parents as well. There in verses 8 and 14, Moses looks ahead and he sees these generations of Israelites yet to come who will ask questions about Yahweh. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, my, for example, my, my children will never know what a real telephone is, right? Forever, their idea of a telephone will be a rectangular device in their dad's pocket that they can watch Elmo on, right? And in kind of the same way, Israelite children to come would increasingly not be able to understand what slavery in Egypt had been like, what that deliverance had felt like. They wouldn't have a category for it. And so when odd rituals like eating unleavened bread for a whole week would come along, they would inevitably, inevitably be curious about that. Why, Dad? Why, Mom? And their parents would be ready with that answer. Because God delivered me with a mighty hand. Parents, we have the same opportunities today, don't we? Alec Matera, in his commentary on Exodus, writes, The special days of assembly the special diet for all the days, the additional sacrifices, all of this prompted over and over again the question, why are we doing this? And received the answer, because the Lord brought us out from Egyptian slavery. And then the supplementary question, how was it he brought us out? With its answer, by the blood of the Lamb. Parents, as you take the Lord's Supper, and your children ask why, you have a God-ordained opportunity to explain to them in visible form what the gospel has done for you. To say, I have been delivered by the blood of the Lamb. And as you do other things in your life, as your children see you reading your Bible, confessing your sin, caring for your spouse sacrificially, devoting yourself to prayer, however imperfectly, they will have questions. Why? How? 
So tell them. Tell them what God has done for you personally. Share your testimony with them like Joe did with us last Sunday morning. Tell your kids what he's brought you, what God has brought you through. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Remember, you're not your children's savior. Jesus is. So don't point them ultimately to yourself and what you've done. Point them ultimately to Jesus and what he has done. I know it can be very hard to be honest with family. After all, they know us best. They know how sinful we are. They know how incredibly arrogant we are. But parents, don't be ashamed of what God has delivered you from by the blood of the Lamb. As you remember his deliverance from slavery to sin, share that with those around you, especially with the children God has given you. You may find they're tempted to the same sins you've been tempted to, and they would never have told you. You may find you can help them and encourage them in your humility and your faith. And kids, teenagers, don't be afraid to ask questions. So if you've grown up in church and you've always seen your parents do this kind of stuff, don't just accept it because they do it. Ask questions why. Why this sort of weird meal where we take a half a cracker and a thimble-sized cup of grape juice because we're Baptists, right? Why long prayers? Why fasting? Why Bible reading? Ask those questions. You're in good company. God made a way for the kids in the Old Testament to ask those kinds of questions. So don't worry that you'll be shamed or told to keep quiet. Even if you are, pursue your doubts. Pursue your fears. Pursue your questions. Because if God says is who he says he is, he's going to prove himself to you as you seek after him. All right, so the Israelites are people remembering deliverance from slavery. And so are we. Finally, the Israelites are people remembering deliverance from death. There in verses 1 and 2, and then verses 11 through 16, Moses communicates God's instructions regarding the consecration of all firstborn males in Israel. So there the Lord says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. In verse 12, the Israelites are told to set apart to the Lord all firstborn. And as we go forward into the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Old Testament, we see even more instructions about this kind of stuff, including how all clean animals, those acceptable to the Lord, who are firstborn would need to be sacrificed, killed. How unclean animals and human firstborns would not be killed, but instead redeemed or ransomed, either by a sacrifice of an animal or a payment of money. Okay, that all seems odd. Why all this super intense stuff about firstborns? I mean, I'm a firstborn. What am I supposed to get from this? Well, there's a lot going on here. But for our purposes this morning, I want us to focus in on how this was a key reminder to Israel of God's deliverance, specifically his deliverance from death. Remember, remember back in chapter 4, 
Remember when God was talking to Moses and he called Israel his firstborn son. And how he had threatened that if Pharaoh would not let Israel go out of Egypt, he would kill Pharaoh's firstborn son. And then in chapter 12, how he had done just that. How he had come in judgment. And the only way his people could protect their firstborn sons was by the blood of a sacrifice. When God saw the blood daubed on the doors, he would turn his anger away. Israel's firstborn had been spared death, hadn't they? And now as free people, they would be given this particular way to remember that. To remember what God had done. Because every single firstborn male would uniquely belong to God. Consecrated to Him. God had spared their life. They were His. One author puts it like this. Every person and animal that was divinely saved from death now belongs to Yahweh in a special way. For all firstborn males belong to Yahweh because he has ransomed them from death. That's what we see there in verse 14, right? Again, the child comes up to his dad wondering why they need to sacrifice or pay something to redeem his firstborn older brother. What does this mean, Father? And there you shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. Do you see what a stark reminder this would be for every single Hebrew family that God had delivered them from death. Even more so, the firstborn represented the family. Israelites had been spared from death. They must remember. And family, again, we too are a people who remember. We look back to deliverance from death, don't we? We don't look back for nostalgia. We don't look back for sentimentality. We don't look back for tradition. We look back to see our identity in Christ. We look back to remember that we are people of the cross, spared death by the sacrificial blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And so remembering is key to living. Remembering is key to looking forward. Remembering is key to the future. For Israel, their remembering would continue to direct their lives as a people, even outside of Egypt. Even as they would come into the promised land later, they would continue to observe this stuff, this consecration of the firstborn, this feast of unleavened bread, this Passover, they would not forget where they had come from because they must not forget who they are. So church, why must we remember? Because we must not forget who we are. 
because we are a forgetful people. We are self-absorbed, intent on our own kingdoms, and God and his acts of salvation often become fuzzy and out of focus. And by, by the grace of God, I recently purchased a new phone. And all these phones now, they have what's called portrait mode, where the kind of the front of the picture is clear and the back of the picture is fuzzy and it kind of makes it look professional, right? But when I think about my approach to God, often it's my kingdom that comes into crystal clear focus and his acts of deliverance sort of blur up in the background. Remembering switches that around. It brings into stark clarity what God has done and diminishes our own little idolatrous kingdoms. Because we're so often like the Israelites, aren't we? They're described in Psalm 78 as those having seen God's salvation, but the psalmist saying they forgot his works and the wonders he had shown them. We can so easily see God do wonderful things, but then so quickly find ourselves back, knee-deep in self-pity and self-worship. We need to remember. We need things like the Lord's Supper to call our minds again to the Savior who suffered in our place. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, we're grateful that you're here with us honored by your presence. And we want you to know, it's important that you know that we don't think we're better than you. Christian does not mean better or superior as much as we may try to make it look like that. No, Christian means sinner whose sin has been born on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. Whose Death has been died by the very Son of God. Christians are those who remember that. And the same can be true for you. If you will repent of your sin, not just feel sorry for it, but turn from it and place your trust in what Christ has done for you, you will be saved. You will be delivered from slavery to sin and from death. And church family, what, what might happen if we become people who forget? What might happen if we resist the promptings of the Holy Spirit and one another in remembering what Christ has done? I think we'll begin to look a lot like Israel will learn, begin to look in the next few chapters. Beginning to see how other gods and other idols become more attractive. <laughs> we'll start losing affection for God and relinquish the joy of intimate fellowship with Him. We may even fall away. So let's commit to remembering. Brothers and sisters, commit to being in covenant with this church as we come together to recall the gospel. Commit to growing in your own personal holiness. 
Because the way that you pursue Christ and His holiness radically affects the way our church works. You're members of the body. Seek to be healthy and in tune with the Lord so that we might, as a whole body, be healthy and walking in the Spirit. Commit to remember. Maybe as you look back on your life, it doesn't seem like God has been faithful to you. Maybe if you're honest, it seems like you've been dealt a pretty bad hand. I in no way want to minimize your suffering, but I would humbly suggest that you look beyond yourself to the deliverance God has given you from your greatest enemy. You didn't deserve that. You don't deserve any of God's grace. R.C. Sproul has said, it is impossible for anyone, anywhere, anytime to deserve grace. Grace by definition is undeserved. And so suffering Christian, see in the cross how much God the Son has suffered for you and how he offers you peace with God even in the midst of of hardship. So as you remember, remember his grace even in the bad times. Remember how much he's given you that you don't deserve. Maybe you find remembering to be hard to find time for. I mean, there's so much happening in life. Your phone is blowing up with reminders and texts and appointments and to-do items. Here in Loudoun, we pride ourselves on how busy we are. So maybe it's time to quit some of those commitments. Maybe it's time to pull back on some of those activities. Maybe it's time to give up some of those aspirations in order to have time to remember who you are. In order to spend time contemplating how God has delivered you in Christ. The Israelites took a whole week. Can you take a whole hour this week? Church, let's look back to remember who we are so we can look forward to see who we will be when our king returns. Let's pray. Lord, you are our salvation. Thank you for the very real and physical ways you gave your people to taste and touch and smell your salvation and what you've done for them. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the Lord's Supper where you've given us opportunity to look back and see what Christ has done for us. We just we pray in, in every way that you would help us to take time to be a people who remember, who reflect, who pause to rejoice in what you've done and who you've made us to be. Lord, come quickly, we ask. Come quickly to make these symbols reality. And in the meantime, we will praise you and we will shout with joyful lips, the Lord is our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.